0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to ask the basic question, why in the world isn't the church, conservatives, those who believe in conserving the time-tested truths of God, the revelation of God, The reality of God, the reality of our existence. Why isn't the church stepping forward and defending the dignity of women and the innocence of children? I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks so much for listening into the show. Today's topic is the church, conservatives within the church, And I'll define that as those within the church, those within our culture, the body of Christ that still believes in conserving the time-tested truths of God. Biblical revelation, natural law, the evidence before our very eyes of our natural and spiritual existence. Why isn't the church stepping forward and defending women? Why aren't we stepping forward and defending the innocence of children? Why do we find so many within the church, within the conservative movement, that are sitting silent on the sidelines? That's today's show. That's the basic question. I'm going to use a story out of LifeWay's, LifeWay research, that tells us that only three out of four Protestant pastors in the United States think that it's morally wrong to identify as a gender different than your biological reality, different than the way you were biologically born. Only 77% of Protestant pastors think that it's morally wrong to change biological gender via hormonal therapy or surgery. That's what LifeWay Research is reporting. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, it's 77%. Well, why isn't it 100%? Why do you have anybody that claims to be a follower of Christ degrading and demeaning women, dumbing women down to nothing but a fantasy, insulting women by suggesting that they're not even a biological fact? Why do you have anybody Within the body of Christ, within the church, anybody that claims to be a conservative, within the definition that I've just shared with you, why do you have anyone that isn't rising up and taking this opportunity, this obvious opportunity that we have in our culture today, to lead, to lead with boldness and clarity in defending women? That's today's show. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So what I want to deal with today is this issue of a missed opportunity. You know, as I've shared uh, several times on this show, with regard to my leadership philosophy and some lessons I learned while I was president of a university, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, to be more specific, one of the things I learned is that Rahm Emanuel... Was right. And I've said I don't agree with much of anything that Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel did in terms of policy and their priorities and their values. In fact, I would argue that Barack Obama tipped the scales. Bill Clinton started the ball rolling, and Barack Obama tipped the scales in terms of the lunacy and the subjective. Gnosticism that's prevailing across the land right now. When he said he wanted to fundamentally transform America, he surely meant it, and he surely did. And his chief of staff that he brought into the White House, Rahm Emanuel, is famous for saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think that's very shrewd. Well, they may have used that principle for evil, but the principle still stands In times of crisis, you have opportunities to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. You know, the book of Esther in the Old Testament tells us that Esther was chosen for such a time as this. There was a crisis in the land, and God elevated her and gave her a position for such a time as this. We're also told in the Old Testament of the story of Joseph, where he was sold into slavery His brothers tried to kill him. This is not a good story. This is a story of sibling rivalry gone crazy. The dysfunction of this family, Jacob's family. And Joseph, being the youngest of the boys, was actually one that uh, his father favored, and that caused jealousy, and the jealousy resulted in hatred, and the hatred resulted in violence. They threw Joseph into a pit. They were going to leave him there to die, but then they saw a slave caravan traveling by, so they sold the kid into slavery, washed their hands of him, went back and lied to the father, and told Jacob that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Well, you know the end of the story. Joseph... Because of God's sovereignty and providence, he rises to power in Egypt. He's the second in command to the Pharaoh. And at the end of the story, while his brothers come down to Egypt seeking uh, relief from a famine, they don't know who Joseph is. Then they discover this. They're afraid that he's going to uh, exercise revenge he has the power to kill them torture them put them in prison whatever he wants to do he has that power but what does joseph say what's the point of me telling this story at the end of this at the end of this particular story of joseph he says what you intended for evil god redeemed for good in other words for such a time as this what others may think is evil and they intend it for that You can redeem it for good. And the Apostle Paul says, he tells us that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. So my point here is to share some biblical references on how in the midst of crisis, we are obligated to lead. And in fact, we can do things as leaders in a crisis that will shine because we'll stand out will stick out like a sore thumb if we would just be bold and courageous. And in this Leah Thomas situation, I mean, this is crazy. You've got a man that's competing against women. He's destroying them. And the church isn't leading. Conservatives aren't leading. You're buying the lie. We're doing exactly what George Orwell described in 1984, where he says this. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes, and ears. It was their final, most essential command. One more time, George Orwell, 1984. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and of your ears. It was their final and most essential command. In other words, the party, Big Brother said, ignore reality. Reject the evidence that you see with your eyes and hear with your ears. This is our final. This is our final victory our most essential command. And how can you not stop and think of that when you look at this guy that has chosen the name Leah Thomas who is towering above the competition celebrating the fact that he just defeated women. And yet, the church is somewhat silent on this. Not everybody. Some of you are speaking out. And you see women standing on the platform, almost cowering in the face of this giant that has culturally appropriated their space, their identity, their dignity, their sport, their scholarship. He's a thief. He's stolen things that are not his. He has stolen the identity, the opportunities. He has stolen the dignity of women. In fact, there's a guy on my Facebook who says this, and it's a perfect quote. He said, this is akin to stolen valor. So I'm not sure why anyone would truly feel like a champion in this situation. But then again, they are delusional already. So it makes sense in that regard. They believe whatever they want because they suffer from some sort of mental issue. Delusion number one, I'm a girl. Delusion number two, I'm number one. That's a quote from a guy on my Facebook thread to a post I put out there showing Leah Thomas with his hands raised up in victory over these women. Another person on my Facebook thread says this, This is the ultimate participation trophy. Literally, the only thing Mr. Thomas won was the privilege to participate in competition for which he is not qualified. Facebook memes talk about competition as bettering oneself, not merely besting one's opponents, echoing the Apostle Paul's comments about mastering his own body so as to run the race and win the prize. Mr. Thomas' victory was one of cowardice over courage and delusion over decency. Again, perfect quote, and this again was from somebody in a Facebook thread. Another person chimes in and says this, The insanity won't stop until real females simply refuse to compete against real males who have decided to take over female sports because they couldn't win against other real males. Don't get into the pool or step on the track if a real male is competing. The list goes on. It goes on and on in terms of what people are saying out there, but... We're not taking, we, meaning the church, conservatives, we're not taking the opportunity of this crisis to lead. We seem to be ignoring it and letting a few people, women primarily, fight their own battles. Sydney Watson of The Blaze says this, Women have nothing left that's ours. Anyone can appropriate our sex. We're referred to as bleeders and pregnant people. Biological men beat us out of our own spaces. Woman doesn't have any definition or meaning any longer. And we're expected to accept our own erasure. It's gross. Again, that's a close quote from Sidney Watson of The Blaze. The list goes on and on in terms of women being offended, being canceled, being erased, to use Sidney Watson's language. But yet we have this survey coming out of Lifeways that says that 77% of the church, of the Protestant church, only 77% of Protestant pastors say that it's morally wrong to change biological gender and to deny the biological reality that's before our very eyes. Apparently, a quarter of the Protestant pastors in our nation think that we should buy the party lie, that we should pay attention and bow to big brother, when he tells us to ignore the evidence that we hear with our ears and see with our eyes, that we should deny reality because we're told to. Is the church really this weak Need Is the church really this spineless? Are we really this cowardly? to step back and let women be abused in such a way. Like my friend said, it's a victory of cowardice over courage. Are we really at that place as a church where men refuse to be men, they refuse to lead, and they'll actually supplant a woman or at least watch while another male does and do nothing about it? Here's what Scott McConnell of Lifeway says. He's the executive director of research for Lifeway. He said, American culture increasingly views morality differently than historic Christianity. When pastors articulate Christian teaching, it often sounds very different from the cultural narrative because it rejects a basis for morality centered on the individual. That's true, but you've got 25% of pastors that apparently align more with the world's view of morality than the is, And what does the research show about the congregants? The laymen, the actual people that are in the pews, not the pastors, but the congregants. What does the research tell us about them? Again, the research shows that about three-quarters of the pastors think that Men pretending to be women is immoral and that it's not right and that it actually demeans women. We've got three quarters of the Protestant pastors that would say that. They would say it's unbiblical and that it's wrong for Leah Thomas to act like a woman and steal a woman's space to erase a woman's identity. But what do the congregants say? Well, Lifeways tells us this that 44% of Protestants and 35% of Americans overall say that transgender identification is morally wrong. Now stop and think about that. Only 44%, obviously less than half, of all Protestants and only 35% of Americans overall thinks think that this transgender identification of Leah Thomas is morally wrong. <laughs> Only 44% of Protestants and 35% of Americans overall are willing to stand up and defend a woman's dignity. And the same thing is taking place with defending a child's innocence. These are hand-in-glove discussions that are taking place right now because both of these things, transgender identity as well as the Florida Parental Rights Bill, and trying to protect children from five years of age to eight years of age from being indoctrinated by this sexual nihilism, by this LGBTQ nihilism, this this idea that you can just choose your sexuality and deny your biology. This is being peddled to kindergartners. So it's the same thing. And only 44% of Protestants and 35% of Americans overall think that this is wrong. We're allowing women to be abused, and we're allowing children to be used as lab rats in this experiment of social engineering. More from Lifeways. While most Americans accept the biblical narrative of God designing male and female, pastors take changing that design much more seriously than the congregants, he said. LifeWise cited research from Gallup stating that only 0.6% of American adults identify as transgender, and a number that includes 1.2% of millennials and 1.8% of Gen Z. Now, do you see how that percentage is climbing? Do you think it's climbing because all of a sudden something changed in terms of DNA and genetics and the predisposition of people to be trans. No, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed other than information. Ideas have consequences. And as we continue to peddle these ideas to our progeny, of course the percentages of those people buying into the lie is going to increase. Thus the reason to have the parental rights bill in Florida that protects kindergartners from further indoctrination. More from LifeWay. Nearly half of pastors surveyed, or 48%, said they know someone who is transgender. Another 41% said they don't know any transgender individuals. Mainline Protestant pastors, 63%, are more likely than evangelical clerics, 45%, to say that they know a transgender individual. Methodist pastors at 63% top the list of clergy, who are more likely to know a person who identifies as trans versus 40% of Pentecostal clergy. So again, this seems to indicate that you're known by the company you keep. And it's also an indication that you're known and you know others. I'll say that again. You are known and you know others through the worldview that you embrace. You see yourself and you see other people. You define yourself and you define other people by virtue of the worldview that you hold dear, the ideas that you think are important. And if you buy the lie of subjective identity, you're going to therefore buy the lie that all of these people around you are trans, that's who they are. That's their identity. And I've said it a thousand times. When we bought the lie, when we drank the Kool-Aid of subjective identity claims, when we, when we started parroting this nonsense that our identity is nothing more than the sum total of our inclinations, that we define ourselves by our desires, when we bought that lie, we opened up pandora's box and we released the kraken of this crazy this crazy cultural corruption of the soul and the mind on our kids and on our entire country christians of all people the church of all organizations should understand what i'm saying right now for for any pastor or priest to say that he knows a bunch of transgendered people. No, you don't. You know people. They're not trans. You know people. They're not homosexual. You know people. They're not heterosexual. I've quoted Gore Vidal many a time, a man who was not a Christian, a man who was very debauched in his sexual life, but he even understood that there is no more such thing as a heterosexual person than there is a homosexual person. These are behavioral adjectives, close quote, Gore But yet we've got pastors that don't get this. They've actually bought the lie that you're defined by your desires. And again, the church of all places, Christians of all people, should understand that we are defined by our Lord and not our libido. We've completely lost the core of the gospel if we buy into these subjective identity claims and we start parroting the lie that our desires define us. You know, I've shared with you this week a little bit of Noelle Maring's book, Awake Not Woke. And I'd like to share a couple more quotes from that book with you as I get ready to wrap up today's show. Here's Noelle Maring in her book, Awake Not Woke. It's a perfect summary to this whole discussion of abandoning women, to the delusions of the male libido, the refusal of the church to defend the dignity of women, the cowardice of men standing on the sidelines and watching women be degraded. Here's Noelle Merring from her book, Awake, Not Woke. And here's the quote. Woke ideology replaces intelligible principles with distorted ones, resulting in incoherence and chaos. What if under the guise of eradicating bigotry, we have entrenched it? What if in trying to coexist, we have siloed ourselves into warring tribes? What if where once there was civic friendship, we have introduced resentment and division? Close quote. Noelle marrying. Now hear her again. Woke ideology replaces intelligible principles with distorted ones, resulting in incoherence and chaos. What if under the guise of eradicating bigotry, we have entrenched it? What if in trying to coexist, we have siloed ourselves into warring tribes? And what if where once there was civic friendship, we've introduced resentment and division? Great questions. She's essentially, rhetorically, pointing out that we're getting the exact opposite of the ideals we claim to hold dear. I'll add a couple questions with the same cadence as the questions that she just asked. What if, in our fighting for feminism, we have canceled the female? And what if in our march for women's rights, we no longer treat women as if they are even real? This is what we're doing. Noel Maring again says this, The woke movement is not only destructive, but incoherent. I read this quote to you yesterday, and I want you to hear it again in this show, because this is the point. The woke movement is not only destructive but incoherent. It's a war of words against the word. It's a revolution which elevates will over reason, the group over the person, and human power over a higher authority. What is rejected is the Logos himself. The Logos is the mind, the reason of God, communicated in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the authority over all. Whether explicitly or not, says Noel Merring, he is the ultimate target of the woke revolt. You can't get much more prescient and clear than that. This movement is destructive. It destroys the very identity of women and destroys the innocence of children. It destroys men by telling them that their masculinity is toxic and that it's poisonous to everything that they touch. It destroys the family by tearing it down. Black Lives Matter says that one of their key goals is the destruction of the nuclear family, the queering of the patriarchal structures of Western civilization. It destroys feminism. You can't be a feminist if the feminine doesn't exist. This is the nature of the woke movement, and you're seeing it unfold before your very eyes. The woke movement is destructive, and it's incoherent. Talk about incoherence. There is no coherence whatsoever in claiming that Title IX is important. And that it's a law that should be preserved and upheld because it promises women equal access and equal opportunity to sports, facilities, scholarships, and whatnot. And then turn around and claim under the auspices of Title IX that you're going to give men access to those things that the law just obligated you to provide to women and women alone. This is not coherent. This is the definition, the poster child of incoherence, irrational nonsense. I said it yesterday, and I'm going to say it again in closing. This is misogyny. This is the hatred of women. And this is also the abandonment of children. This is child sacrifice, and this is misogyny. It's the hatred of women. You can't be pro-woman and then turn around and tell women that they're not real and that men who want to pretend that they're something they're not have the right to steal a woman's very identity. As I said earlier, this is akin to erasing women. And how could you be more degrading to any person than to erase them from the very cultural discussion? It's time for the church to grow a spine and lead and be pro-woman. Be the true feminists because we believe in the female. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.